Well, uh, it's been said a couple of times this morning, but we are starting a new financial challenge called One Life this morning. So this is a, a three-year journey that we go on as a church each three years where we are challenged to consider giving above and beyond our normal tithes and offerings for other ministries here in the church and our community all around the world. So this one's called One Life because it asks this question, what will you do with the one list, one life that God has given to you? Now, I'd like to start out this morning asking a different question. Uh, what would you do if God gave you two lives? Now, I'm not talking about this one and the eternal one. I'm talking about two just like this. You get one, you get to rewind and do another one. What would you do the same? What would you do differently with the second one? As I think about that, I think about, I would do karate again. I put so much time and energy and effort and blood, sweat, and tears into karate and other people's broken bones. And um, I would do that again. I would do that again. It's been, it was a great confidence builder. It was, it was great for fitness. I mean, it, you know, you never outgrow karate. You can do it your whole life if you want to. I really, and I was never good at traditional sports. So I did not have that. Um, although, my recent 40-yard dash time at the Chiefs tailgate party may indicate there was some unrecognized potential there. But it's too late now, so karate it is. Um, I would do theater again. High school theater, I would do that again. Uh, for all the stereotypes of, of the drama, pardon the pun, of the drama that happens in a high school theater department, I, and by the way, all those stereotypes are completely true. Everything you imagine happens, actually happens. Um, but I would do that again. I think I preach. I think I tell stories the way I do I, because, of, of, because of the theater stuff. I would marry Ashley Woody again. In a heartbeat. Yeah, amen. <laughs> yeah. Now, there's no need to ask her, would she marry me again? <laughs> you know, what's done is done. So, but uh, I did a funeral a couple years back for a gal, and uh, her husband was there, and he was just entering dementia, so he was kind of where he was just say the same thing over and over again in a loop. And every time I would get close to him, he'd go, that woman, she wasn't just good to me, she was good for me. And I, I think that'll, if I, if, when I get in dementia, if that's the loop I've got, that'll be a good one, that'll be totally true, totally true. I would marry her again. Probably more interesting to you is the things I would not do again. So if I had this life to do over again, what would I not do again? If I had life to do over again, I would not have had so many boring haircuts. If I knew how little time I was going to have with my hair, I mean, it was just there and gone. I would have taken more chances and done some, had more fun with it. What a waste. Um, I would not have opened my Star Wars Jawa with vinyl cape action figure. That was the second action figure I bought. When he first came out, he had a vinyl cape on, so it kind of looked kind of cheap. So they started putting a cloth one on and discontinued him, which immediately made him what? More valuable. So I was just looking this last week, what would happen if I had kept it in the package and not opened it? Here's one getting ready to go for $19,000 at auction. Doggone it. All right. Um, I, if I had life to do over again, I would not have bought all that band equipment. I, out, out, of, out of college, we, we had this Christian band, and we went and bought $20,000 on a loan 
of band equipment. We didn't even know enough to negotiate for it. We were just like, yeah, give us that keyboard. Give us those amps. Give us that about $20,000 worth of gear. We had some folks who actually understood music and instruments afterward tell us that we had bought $6,000 worth of band gear for $20,000. So, yow. Yeah, I probably wouldn't do that again. And I left the classroom. I was a high school teacher. Uh, I left the classroom to go into ministry, but I left six years before I was vested into the retirement system. And so the district got to pull back their half of the contribution. Now, at the time, that was about $18,000. And I thought, well, I'm I'm starting a new career, and I'm young. What's $18,000? Well, if I'd left that in there, by the time I retired, that'd be about $350 a month for the rest of my retired life. So I get to think about that for the rest of my retired life every time I'm $350 short. If I just taught for six more months. Except... Except, the church was hiring then. And I was an untested, never been in ministry, 28-year-old person. I was not in a position where I could say, hey, could you wait for me for six months? No, no, that's not how that would go. They would have hired someone else. Would I ever have entered ministry at all if I hadn't gone through that window? And that band equipment, that's how Chris Lee and I met. And that's how we got into church work. Would either of us have gone into church work if it wasn't for that outrageously priced band equipment? You know what else I wouldn't do again? I left this out when I was going through my litany, and this is important. I would not have hoarded up food for the Y2K crisis. (laughs) You guys remember that? This is also when I quit watching Christian television. It was all over Christian television that the world was going to end and at midnight in 2000 when the, when, that all the computers would roll from 99 to 00, zero and they'd all shut down and you know, there'd be war and cats and dogs living together and mass hysteria. So I was just a teacher at that time and, and actually just worked part-time at the church. And, and, uh, but we carved out of our budget money to save up a year's worth of food and barrels of water and all this stuff and had a garage full of this stuff you know, to survive the end of the world, which, you know, then did not happen. So I would not do that again, except that through that process, we learned that we were spending money on all kinds of stuff that really didn't matter because when we literally thought the world was about to end, suddenly we had this money in our budget that we could save up in three months a year's worth of groceries and and the supplies and everything. So what we did after that is we gave all the food to the food pantry. They were ecstatic. And then we realized we could buy our own home. We do have the money, clearly, because we could pull this harebrained scheme off. We could do something sensible and like get out of a rental and buy a home, and that's what we did the next year. So even the mistakes that you make sometimes matter more than the path you would have put yourself on had you had hindsight. Proverbs 16.9 says, We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Here's a great verse for for someone this morning proverbs 20 24 the lord directs our steps so why try to understand everything along the way the lord directs our steps so why try to understand everything along the way isn't that a great word so i'm middle-aged now uh now when i say that at home my son likes to go really dad you think you're going to make it to 92 at the rate you're going <laughs> thanks son so i'm middle-aged or after tick tock tick tock um Now, I want to say that for my entire adult life, 
We, I have participated in the tithe. I have given 10% of my gross household income off the top for the work of God and his church in the world. And for the last 15 years, Ashley and I have given above that because of financial challenges. Close to a second tithe some years, always between 15, 19%, somewhere in there. Now, why are we doing that is the question. Now, the Bible talks about such things. The Bible talks about giving a tithe. And it also, especially in the Old Testament, talks about these additional tithes they would have that would come up every three years, special tithes just for the poor and things like that. But it always stops short of making those an actual law that everyone must follow. So why are we giving? It's not because it's, not it's a Bible law. Uh, Ashley and I give because we observe people. Now, don't you know that when you have a fitness goal, who you want to pay attention to is people who are already fit, right? You want to ask, what are you doing? How are you doing that? If you have an academic goal, you want to pay attention to who's already studying the curve in the class and ask, how do you study? How do you take notes? How do you receive this information? If you have a relationship goal, a parenting goal, you want to hang out with people who are happy in their marriage, who like being a parent, who have great kids, and ask, what are the axioms, what are the thoughts that keep you on track day in and day out? And if you have a spiritual goal, you want to look at the people who are close to Jesus Christ. And when I look at spiritual people, when Ashley and I look at spiritual people, we always find that they are also the most generous people. At the same time, there are, as a corollary, the most financially stable people, which is interesting. See, if you just hang out with, with rich people, you'll see a lot of stuff about money, but you're also going to see some very gross and stupid behaviors, right? You and I both have rich friends who do gross and stupid things. And, and the poor are no better. I grew up poor. It's not some romantic work blue class or blue-collar utopia. Poor people also uh, do some very gross and stupid things. So everybody does gross and stupid things. The only difference between the rich and the poor really is money how much money you have to do that stuff with. We all know that's true. But when you look at generous people, and by generous I mean the sacrifice they're making, not the amount they're giving, the sacrifice they're making. Because, right, you could have someone who gives $100,000 a year to Christian work. But if they're worth $10 million, that's not a sacrifice. You could also have people who give $100 to Christian work a year. But if they only make $1,000 a year, they're making a great sacrifice. So if you look at the folks who are making a sacrifice and you put them on a list and you went down the list, you would find they are the most pleasant people. They're the most serious about their faith. They're the most peaceful and kind people. They're also the most stable people and they give all the credit for that to God. That's what you find. I find it every time. Now, I want to be clear what I'm saying and not saying. If you take the people who don't give you don't find them to be unstable, horrible, not faithful-based people. That's not true. Um, people who don't give, you find about what you'd expect. Some of them are very kind. Some of them are kind of a pain in the neck. Some of them are very stable. Some of them are a hot mess. You just kind of find a mix among people that don't give. But, but I'm, I'm telling you, when you look at the people who are generous and sacrificial, and you just go down, you, you find the most pleasant, the most serious about faith, the most peaceful the most kind, the most easy to be with, the most stable folks. And so Ashley and I decided a long time ago, we always want to be in that group. So we do what they do. We give. I want to be at peace with God. I want to be pleasant and kind. So I give. Now, I can't tell you why it hasn't worked for me yet, but um, I hope 
that if I'm faithful to this, I'll turn out like them. Because I believe God's word's gonna come true in my life. I believe in Luke chapter nine. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give your life up for my sake, you will save it. I believe in Matthew 6. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And in those seasons when generosity makes your life difficult, puts you in a bind, creates a rub, and it will, then I turn to Romans 3. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. Now, at middle aged or after, uh, Ashley and I have gotten to watch these mentors that we have observed grow older and older ahead of us, and we have observed that their blessings of God do not run out on them. And so we're forging ahead with them as well. And we're also stick to it because of this. I've met a lot of people in 46 years, and I've heard a lot of stories, but I haven't yet heard this story. I haven't yet heard someone say, I was obedient to God's call, I gave a tithe, I was generous above that, and it ruined me. I've never heard that one yet. No one's come to me and said, God does not do what he says he will do. I would warn you, don't give. I find the absence of that story fascinating. Now, I have heard people, and I have known people, who gave so much that it became, it grew a bitterness in them. Uh, Especially when they observed what other people did and didn't give. But that's really a different story for a different day. That's really not about God failing and not coming through. That's really about what happens to us when we're doing something good but yet have a heart of comparison. That's a different sermon for a different day. We'll do that sometime. But this morning, I'd like to bear a witness. I'd like to speak especially to those of you who are in your 20s, those of you who are in your 30s, just a decade or two behind me, those of you maybe who've only been Christian for five, 10 years or less. And I'd like to give you a testimony about where your life could be headed if you answer God's call to be generous this year. So we're starting this financial challenge. It's called One Life. It's an opportunity to take a step of faith. And the the first thing I'd like to say about that is that if I had this one life to do over again, I would do this generosity piece again. And here's why. Because Ashley and I have tangible miracle stories in our life. I mean like out of the Bible Miracle stories that have happened to us that could not have happened without that giving. Giving moved us into the place where they could happen and we could see them. Because often through the years, our family budget, which is on Microsoft Excel, so the math is all solid, often that spreadsheet has, that spreadsheet has predicted that we would not have enough money for the basics. That we would be short groceries, mortgage, utilities, It just wasn't there. And you can't argue with math, right? Math is math. Or is it? Because each time 
the spreadsheet would say that, we would pray that God would provide. And for 23 years, he always has. We've never actually gone without, even though the math said we were going to. Now, some of you are like, that's not a biblical miracle. That could just mean you're really bad at making your spreadsheet. You said you had, you said you had Bible-sized miracles. Okay, try this one. Try this one. Two financial challenges ago, uh, Ash and I were praying about, will we make a pledge? Will we not? What will it be? We finally it got down to this. Are we going to paint the house and get siding on the house or make a pledge to this financial challenge? It kind of came down to that was the choice. I still remember where we were walking around the block and the part of the street we were standing on when we finally said, we're going to make a pledge. We're going to trust in God that this paint and siding will just hold out for another three years. So we made our pledge. Two months later, I was driving home and I got into my cul-de-sac and there's a whole crew around my house painting it. Some of you were on it. Someone, it turns out, had turned us into one of those do something nice for your community groups. So there was all these realtors from Keller Williams, shameless plug. Um, All these realtors had shown up to do some community service since it was kind of a bigger thing than they usually did. They called some of you and some of you came out and there they were painting the house. God provided. Some of you are like, that's not a Bible miracle. Maybe, I don't remember telling anybody about that, but maybe maybe Ashley told someone about that and she forgot or something. Anyway, somebody pulled some strings for you or something. You said you had Bible-sized miracles. Okay, all right. Try this one. When I first left uh, ministry to go to seminary so I could get the degree to be a pastor, uh, I worked really, really part-time, and Ashley worked part-time at the church. That's how we were getting by with two kids. And my son had just been born, and we had a bunch of medical bills from him. And for some reason, right in that window of time, it wasn't this way with our daughter, but with our son, the hospital decided to be very aggressive. I mean, their opening bid was, you will pay this entire medical bill in, in 90 days, or we're sending you to the collections. We kind of freaked out. Everybody's like, oh, they don't really mean that. You just send them something each month and they'll be happy. So we scraped together $460 and sent it to them. And we got a letter. You still owe over $1,300. If you don't pay it off in 60 days, you're going to collections. We're like, oh my gosh. So we scraped together another $475, $479. I was just looking at this last night because I have it on Excel. Um, (laughs) Scraped together another $479 and sent it to them. And we got a letter. You have $938 outstanding. And if you don't pay it in 30 days, you're going to collections. Oh my gosh, $938 in 30 days on barely part-time and part-time. That is the grocery money. That is the utilities. But I don't want to go to collections and have a legal battle and fight while I'm trying to go to seminary. So we just wrote him a check for $938, cleaned ourselves out and said a prayer. And at the end of the week, a card comes in the mail from someone here in the church, someone we hadn't talked to for two or three months. In fact, that was the first line of the card. I know we haven't talked for two or three months. I just haven't run into you on Sunday morning. I hope this isn't awkward. But I'm in a season of prayer, the card said. And I am really trying to be obedient to hear from God and when I hear from him to do what he says. And the Lord has given me your name and said that he wants me to send you a gift And I'm sorry for the odd amount, but I'm just trying to be very obedient to exactly what I hear in prayer. 
and there was a check in the card for $900. And I thought, God, you couldn't come up with the other 38? <laughs> no. <laughs> I didn't say that at all. I didn't say that at all. I, I cried, of course, is what I did. I cried. I cried. Now, don't you know that was about so much more than just paying a medical bill? Because for the rest of seminary, whenever I thought, am I really supposed to do this? Why did I quit a great job to go into ministry? And is there even going to be a job for me after? Is God even in this at all? I would remember that card. And sometimes even when I stand up here, I'm like, did I really get called into ministry? Or did I just elbow my way up here? I remember that card. And I shared with the the person who wrote that card what had happened and I, I hope for the rest of her life whenever she thinks do I really hear from God words and numbers and names or am I nuts I, I hope she remembers that card too these things happen in our midst and isn't this really what you came to church for to experience spiritual, supernatural power in your own life, to be at one with the almighty creator, to have a miracle. Now, have you ever seen a miracle in the Bible where someone didn't first have to take just some sort of tiny step of faith? This one life challenge could be for you this year, your step of faith. Now, some of you are worried because you have young kids. Young kids you got to take care of. But don't you know that God loves your kids? God loves your kids. And they're about to learn about generosity. You know, this is how kids become generous people in this world. They don't just magically grow that, and no one else puts that into them. They have to see it and experience it and see it valued in the home that they're growing up in, and then that's how they become that. I remember driving home one time in my cul-de-sac, and there was card tables set up along the street. All the kids in the cul-de-sac were selling rocks. They flagged me down, rolled down my window. Hey, we're selling rocks for 25 cents. Turns out they're selling me my rocks. They took them... (laughs) out of my landscaping and they're selling them back to me for 25 cents a rock and they're like then they go they're for orphans in Haiti now every one of us in the room did something like that when you're young you had a lemonade stand or you drew some pictures and tried to hawk them on the sidewalk but I don't ever remember when I was a kid saying it's for orphans in Haiti that's because that time my kids were in campfire here upstairs and at that time Jamie Davis was a leader of campfire and she was doing ministry in Haiti and she was sharing it with the kids and my kids were bringing it in the neighborhood and they're like well if we're going to steal rocks and sell them there's only one thing worth doing that for and that's orphans in Haiti and that's where kids catch this stuff now Jamie Davis is still on staff here as our financial administrator but with the rest of her time she is now on staff at Global Orphan the Global Orphan Project, doing great work for the Lord. And uh, in this One Life Financial Challenge, we want to help support that. So I got just a short video about the, the, the part of One Life that goes for orphans in Haiti. When I first got involved with uh, Go Project, 
Back in 2010, I went on my first vision trip to Haiti about a month after the earthquake and just really fell in love with the organization, the heart of the organization and what they were about and what they were doing to care for orphan and vulnerable children around the world. So Go Project is locally based. It's based here in Kansas City. And the heart of Go Project is to partner with the local church across the globe to care for the most vulnerable children in that community. One of the things I'm most excited for um, the future of the ministry at Go Project um, is our orphan prevention initiatives. Um, really working to, to break the orphan cycle and also through family strengthening initiatives being able to support the local church to wrap around a vulnerable family and help get them the needs uh, or meet the needs that they have to help keep that family together. And so what I'm most excited about Lakeland being involved in, in that orphan prevention side is we have the opportunity to come alongside the local church in perhaps Uganda and help that local church do what it was called to do and that's care for vulnerable kids and families in their community and so that's one of the really great things about that is it's the local church here partnering with the local church there to advance the kingdom of God and so we have an opportunity to really make a difference in the lives of children and families across the globe. Now you think the little kids scare you um the teenagers are, are harder, harder on this point because um, I know, now I have teenagers and I have never met anybody who is generous and gives that this doesn't happen. The teenager begins to observe what's happening and they get kind of gripey about it sometimes, especially when they want something and they begin to struggle with feelings of not being as important as church work, which, is, which is, can be sad, right, if they feel that way. So they could get crabby about it and then you have all these parent guilt kind of feelings. So, but here's how we've chosen to handle that in our house. First of all, remind the kids. Those other kids that you're trying, you know, because they don't want to be singled out, right? They don't want to be made fun of. They don't want, they're worried about their clothes and the car and the family car and all this stuff that makes them look different. And they're trying to impress other people uh, is usually what's going on. And so, you know, first of all, we just remind them, those kids with the, the big house and the fancy car and the brand name, brand name clothes, you don't really like them. So why are you trying to impress them all the time? Now, I understand because I tried to do that too when I was your age. I didn't like them, but I also didn't want to be made fun of by them. So you're trying to keep up, but that's not important. Why are you doing that? And this is an important life lesson because you and I know someone right now who's an adult and they're still doing this. They have never grown out of this. They're now 30, 40, 50 years old, still trying to impress folks with cars and houses and clothes, and they're driving themselves into financial ruin. In fact, a lot of our culture is a bunch of people who all have $90,000 in debt trying to impress each other by having a lifestyle and acting like they don't have $90,000 in debt backing it up. So if you can help your kids get over that now, you're setting them up for a better future. Money is the number one thing folks argue about in their marriages. You're setting your kids up. If you can get them backed off this ledge of trying to keep up with everything and funding lifestyles they cannot really afford, that's just telling them the truth. When you tell your kids that uh, 
helping sick women in Africa heal or helping at-risk teens in our own community finish high school or even building a church that shares the gospel of Jesus Christ, building a church to be an authentic community of followers is more important than dad driving a nicer, newer car. You're telling them the truth. That's, that's the truth about life. I remember dropping my daughter off school in junior high, picking her up actually. And I drive like a 96 Oldsmobile Sierra, total dino grandma car. Um, and one of her friends was cutting in front of us in the drive-thru and was getting into their family's Dodge Charger. And my daughter's sinking down in the seat. And I'm like, honey, why are you hiding? She's like, because look at our car and look at theirs. And I said, honey, we don't judge other people because they have to drive smaller cars than us. It doesn't make us better than them. I said, that family is probably perfectly content, happy, and serving the Lord, even though they have to cram it into that little bitty car and drive all over town. But they are our brothers and sisters, and we don't judge them. And she said, that's not what I meant. <laughs> Sharing the gospel is more important than these things. We have a Hope Center giving tree. Um, sits at the back all during the Christmas season, covered in ornaments. When you buy something off that tree, you are supporting the Hope Center, an inner city ministry. Now, for years, there's been an ornament on that tree, PlayStation 4. Now, I don't know who did this, but someone at Lakeland this year bought the PlayStation 4. Someone did that. And the Hope Center sent back this ecstatic message they wanted me to share with you. They wanted me to share that they have had great difficulty the last few years getting kids to come for their mentoring, to come for their tutoring, to come for their Christian training because they'd rather stay home and play video games. But now that the Hope Center has the best game system in the neighborhood, the kids are showing up again. They're doing their mentoring. They're doing their their Christian training. They're doing their tutoring because they get some game time. So, I, like I said, I don't know who did that, but that was the most important Christmas gift you bought this year. That may be the most important Christmas gift that was bought in the entire congregation this last year. These things matter. And this truth that you'll be sharing with your teens and your kids as they see this way of living, this is what's going to stand the test of time. Because I'll tell you, I do a lot of funerals. And I see a lot of people stand up by that casket and say, Grandpa looked out for other people. Grandma had time to volunteer and take care of folks for this or that organization. Our uncle always gave faithfully to this or that in the world. Here's what I never hear people say. I never hear people say, Grandpa had two four-wheel drives. They were slick. I never hear people say, Grandma had two houses. Uh, One of them, she only visited a few weekends in the summer every year. I never hear people say, you should see how much money uh, Uncle Harold hoarded up. There are so many zeros in his savings account. You don't hear that stuff. Always when it comes to the end and saying, this one life, did it matter? It's these types of truths to get told because that's the truth. That's the truth. Now here's the truth. A lot of you will be pitting as you make this decision about uh, financial challenge, participate or not you'll be pitting that against a student loan. Now, that's some serious business. Student loans can be big, and they can grow really fast. Some of those things are growing 5 or $10 a day while they sit unpaid. 
So that's a real deal. And then again, it might not be a real deal. You know, during that Y2K debacle when Ash and I hoarded up food for the end of the world, we learned that we were spending a lot of money on unnecessary things. Because when we literally thought the world was going to end, all of a sudden we had money that we could carve out to do this thing where we saved up a year's worth of groceries in a year. All sorts of things we really didn't need. Cable television, not a need. Not at what they charge for it. It's not even a bargain. By the time you flick through 180 channels of nothing on, a half hour has passed. All you can do is flick back through them again because it's a half hour. There's all new nothing's worth watching it on. Um, eating out two, three, four, five, six times a week. You can prepare the same meal at home for 20% of the cost. And the ingredients you're using are not slowly poisoning you for your future medical bills. And what about a lot of pointless phone services? I mean, a phone, it texts, it calls people. That's great. Do you really need it? Need it to be able to watch a movie while you're in the waiting room? I mean, can't you just look at Field and Stream or people like everybody else? Do you need to have a a high-definition movie-watching capability wherever you are in the world at any given moment? I'm not telling anybody what to do. I'm just saying maybe don't frame the deal where your generosity is pitted against your student loan. Maybe those are just two important things that both need some attention. Maybe your generosity should really be pitted against Starbucks. Or it should really be pitted against a certain cell phone plan or, or a gas hog vehicle. I'm not telling anybody what to do. I'm just saying, look at everything. Don't pick two important things to face off and have all these other things that you're treating like they're sacred and non-negotiable when they're not sacred and they're totally negotiable. Just saying, look at everything that you're doing with this one life God has given you and ask, is that one life worthy? Is that one life worthy? Do I want that examined when the kids and grandkids all gather around me and say, what was this life all about? When I read Matthew 25, the words of Jesus, here are some of the thoughts and prayers that go through my mind. Verse 34, it says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. And I pray, Lord, we made sacrifices in our family to bring beans and rice to families in Annapolis, Mexico. Have mercy on me, Lord Jesus. I hope that's what you meant. The scripture says, I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. We pray, Lord, our gifts were used by villages in Haiti, sometimes to repair broken wells for orphanages. We tried to obey you, Lord. Have mercy on us if that wasn't quite what you meant. I was a stranger the scripture says, and you invited me into your home. Father, we gave to welcoming the stranger and tried to help families fleeing the Taliban settle here in our country to thrive and raise their children in peace. I pray that this has fulfilled your wishes for the stranger. Verse 36 says, I was naked and you gave me clothing. Lord, we shipped containers of clothing to hospitals in Liberia and Africa. We bought school uniforms for children in Haiti. We sent winter coats to Mexico. Even Prodeo in our own community had a free clothing store. High school kids could get things from that they needed. Father, we pray this was your will. 
The scripture says, I was sick and you cared for me. Father, in the One Life campaign, we have opportunity to raise enough money to build a maternity waiting home for precious babies to be born and even an operating room where women can receive surgery for crippling conditions. We want to use all you have given us, God, for your glory. And the scripture ends, I was in prison and you visited me. Let us pray. Lord, we pray now for Pastor John Wood, a Chinese pastor and a missionary who is in prison. Locked up these four years in a Chinese prison for sharing the gospel, bringing food and water and medicine and prayer to the refugees of Myanmar. The same types of ministries we're doing, Lord, but in his country, he's not free to do them. Lord, we pray you will free him from prison and use him while he's there. But until then, Lord, let us raise money for his pastors and his evangelists. Let us fund his underground persecuted church in China so your good news can free your people in that oppressed country. What more can we do with this one life you have given us, God? Show us, and we are there because we know you are there. We can never be more generous than you are. Give us trust and courage to take hold of this new life you are offering us so that in three years, in 30 years, we can say that we lived without regret and tell the world how faithful is our God. And all God's people said, Amen.